0: Hello podcast listeners. We have a special podcast today. It is not a breakdown. It is an interview with Christian Soto. He started Red Chip Poker and Solve for Why. He's also starting a new podcast, a Solve for Why podcast soon. Be sure to check that out. Look for that coming up soon. And uh, yeah, we're excited to bring this interview to you today with Christian Soto because he's a super smart guy. Anyway, here it is. What's up, everybody? We have a special edition podcast for you today. Usually, we break down a hand, and we're going to talk about a hand that we already broke down. It was a hand with Christian Soto and Hashtag King, and we definitely didn't want to talk to Hashtag King, so we're going to talk to Christian Soto instead, and we have him here today. Hey, Christian, how are you doing?
1: That was a really good intro, actually. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> uh, I'm, really, I'm really well. I'm pretty excited to be on, uh, on this podcast. We are excited to have
2: you. Uh, you were much friendlier than Hashtag King, as well as probably a much better player. So, um, guys, if you remember, we did this podcast maybe six weeks ago or so, and Christian played this hand from Live at the Bike. I'm just going to give you the details so you can uh, know everything that happened, and then we're going to start asking about his decisions in the hand. So it's a 5-10-20 game. Soto has over $10,000 in front of him, and he raises plus one. With to $100 with ace queen off and hashtag king is in the hijack. He's got almost 10,000 in front of him as well. He re raises to 225. Uh, and Christian Soto of calls. What does hashtag have? Do we have that? There we go, five six of diamonds. Uh, the pot is $485. The flop comes out deuce queen 10. So good flop for Christian. Hashtag just has two back doors. Christian checks hashtag bets 915 into this pot of 485. Christian calls, and the pot is now 2315 already. The turn is a three of diamonds, bringing straight and flush draws for hashtag. Soto checks, hashtag backs 2300 into a pot of 2315. Soto moves in for 8755, effective. Hashtag calls. All right, well, the river breakdown, hashtag, I'm uh, sorry, hashtag lost both of them. But the interesting stuff, of course, really is Christian's decisions throughout, I think. Um, Christian, the most showy part of this hand has gotta be the check raise all in on the turn. Can you tell us what your thought process was there?
1: Well I mean I honestly think we should probably start from the beginning because it it's uh, it's a couple like certain decisions that are are in line. So like I would rather I would rather start from the beginning. So first thing that we need to talk about I think is the decision whether we want to form it or not. And I think it's kind of close to be honest with you. So I think against a player like this, that's probably continuing with the entirety of his three bet range, which I assume to be merged. Like there is a a really good argument to actually four bet sometimes, especially at this depth. The problem is that with him specifically, he's a player that could just like say whatever five bet with like anything. Um, That's kind of the, why I decided to just flat. But I think against, a player that's three betting and then continuing with the entirety of his merged range and position, uh, a hand like Ace Queen, which dominates the majority of that range, could fall into a four bet. Um, but I think flatting is perfectly fine. Obviously, that's going to be the correct game theoretical play. Um, moving into the flop, I think that against a player like this, Ace Queen is more like a trap at that point um, because he's so wide in so many positions that. We are pretty much like trapping ace queen versus this player type so when we flop uh, when we flop a queen on this specific board we pretty much like have to make the decision on the flop that we're most likely pretty excited and want to play for stacks at some point in the hand uh, are you guys still there we
0: are we're listening okay. along it's we're enthralled
1: yeah okay cool uh, so uh, the next decision point is, if we're going to play for stacks, how are we going to play for stacks? Obviously, now we're going to start with a check uh, automatically on the flop. Now he chooses to bet pretty much like an overbet on the flop, which is like a little surprising. However, I think we still need to remember the the flop act, the our pre-flop decision making. We think he's merged, right? Even though he is betting a polarizing sizing, right? My, the, the mindset is he's still merged, right? He still has king-queen. He still has like... Jacks. He still has, like, some random hands, like, you know, him having 6'5 of diamonds. It's like, you know, it could be argued that he's um, in the pole now with that hand, but, like, he just, he's just not. Like, given the history and how he plays, he'll just have ace-jack, he'll just have all kinds of hands here. Um, so I still think he's merged, even though he's using polarized sizing. Um, so we call, right? Now we land on the turn, and he chooses, and, and we check again, and it picks up, like, a lot of... Um, you know he picks up a decent amount of equity and backdoors come in, and you know we check and now he bets pot, and we have like about pot behind to play. Uh, if I was to like shove, and now we need to decide: well, is he pulled or merged? And if he is pulled, how often do we think he is going to bluff off on the river? And now those are some really interesting assumptions that would now we have to make is like one, I don't think, I think he's merged in. And what I mean by that is I think he does have King Queen and I think he has like jacks and like crap. It's just like me doing com- like, so the, the interesting part is like I did commentary like two days of him playing. Um, so I have a lot of additional info, like in terms of like knowing how he plays. So like, I know he's just like overly merged in all the spots, like throughout all hints. So that's cool. a lot of information that, you know, the outside viewer doesn't have, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think he has jacks. I think he has all these hints. And now, secondly, I think the the other portion of it is, is given given the information I'm putting out now, right, in terms of, like, like what am I saying I have, right? And, and what is his bluff frequency on the river now? Because uh, that's something we have to decide, too. It's like, well, I called the three bet. I called uh, over bet on the flop. And now, if I call a pot sized bet on the turn, how often is a bluff actually coming in on this river? And I think that, you know, maybe with him, it does come in, but like logically speaking, like the bottom of my range is like, like literally ace queen, right? Like maybe a king queen suited, I guess. Like, but like, I guess, I guess a queen, but like I'm not folding, right? It's just like I'm pretty much saying like I'm showing down this hand 100% of the time. So if I, Good. So uh, that
2: makes sense. At the same point, since he bet two X the
1: pot on the flop, Mm
2: -hmm. why are you and I know you'd watch him for two days. So I'm sure there's a reason for this. But why are you believing when that like when he he did fire twenty three hundred on the turn? He bet he did bet pot on the turn, but you're assuming he's not going to fire pot on the river. So do you think like he bets he does he just take these lines so often that you and you had just seen it or was there other things in play?
1: Well the question is, what does he do with Jax? What do he do what does he do with like ace ten? What does he do with these kind of hands that have like no logical reason to be doing this that that are all just like merged hands? <laughs> I think I think he's just like bet bet checks, right? And you know, it theoretically like I should just be like call call call, right? Like it's pretty standard. However, like I think we just bail him out a lot where he just makes too many mistakes and it's a situation where we're at the top of our Like we're at the top of our our range versus a player like this and we just want to play for it because he makes too many mistakes. Like if my assumption is he has jacks, he has king-queen, he has these hands that are like supposed to not be taking this line and supposed to be like checking at some street. Well, he's not like that. He's just like, he's just going to bet because he's LOL protection, LOL thin value. And then like when he gets shoved on, he just has no idea what to do. And I know the argument is, you know, we block the ace of diamonds so we're blocking his logical bluffs and it's like against a player like this that is a fair point however i think that blocking in this specific dynamic where we're playing a massive pot i think it's almost more important to block aces than it is to block his bluffs especially mm-hmm. if, especially when he is just overly merged too often right so
0: that's interesting so essentially you think he has a lot of showdownable hands in his range that he's overcalling the turn with and underbluffing the river with correct. Cool. And I guess uh, it wasn't exactly one of those that you got called by, but it's pretty nice thing you got called by there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, well, yeah, for sure. If I was a real boss, I would have ran it once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, he had a lot of equity. So, it, you know, it, it's super thin. Like, I don't want to say that I'll always be correct there. Um, but it's a situation where I also wouldn't take this line against like anyone that I deem to, you know, this line wouldn't happen in, in, in a, in any other setting, right? Like no, one's going to like three bets of that size and then double pot and then pot like with these kind of hands. Um, but yeah, the assumption is that he's overly merged. And of course, if he's pulled, we're in a really tough spot, right? Because we're blocking, we're blocking his bluffs and we have like a bluff catcher, right? But, I don't think that he thinks that way, right? He's just thinking, I have two jacks and like this kid might have ace king, so I have to keep betting. And you know, when we take it that way, it's like, well, play for stacks. And that's kind of what, that's kind of what I was saying going back to the preflop action is this is a very logical four bet versus this player type, right? He's just like three bet. He's he three bets, like ace jack off and then calls four bets with it. He three bets, King Jack off and calls four bets with it. So when I choose to just call, my mindset is trap. Like we're playing for like, we're playing a big pot here against a very weak opponent. Um, and yeah, in uh in a theoretical, in a game theory sense, like this is a huge mistake, right? Like, it's like, he should never be calling with worse. Right. It's like, right. so, but I think that's like a big error that, players of you know all of my peers and even myself sometimes fall into is like you know just stick to the game theory and the game theory is like well this is just a call 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 hand um and maybe even like a call call fold in some scenarios especially with the ace of diamonds in my hand um so that's kind of that's kind of the game we're playing here it's a a little bit of a back and forth of how exploitative can we get versus a player like this
2: yeah it's it's interesting because yeah the other the other concern that I think we talked about great and I talked about when we were going over this hand in our podcast anyway was yeah what like you were saying, what can you actually get called by right and so you actually got i mean he called incorrectly mathematically anyway, so that's amazing, so if he's doing that i I imagine he's not maybe maybe he's able to call with ace ten and two jacks and things like that um when you moved in do you, is it just that you had seen him play enough that you just think like he's just going to call me with all sorts of stuff that he shouldn't. Um, period. I mean, right. like how, so, like ultimately, how low do you think his his range of calling there is? Ultimately,
1: like nines. Wow. Like, yeah, it's just it, that. That's the thing. It's just like I think he's just calling like an absurd amount of hands that should just not be taking this line. <laughs> and it's and that's the thing. Like, it, it's it almost it's almost like comical. But I've seen him play two days. I'm seeing him play to like the day I'm playing, and it's like well, we're playing for all of it. Like when the queen came out, I'm just like, Oh wow. Like this is going to be a 20, (laughs) like, this is going to be a $20,000 pot. Like, (laughs) like, and it's just like, I accepted that and I wasn't necessarily concerned with, you know, getting like, honestly, like if I have ace queen and he just shows me two Kings, like I got super unlucky because it's just like, he's a very special player at that time. And if I, if I was unlucky enough to flop a queen in a spot where like, I think he's calling me with two nines or like, You know any any hand and that's just unfortunate but i also didn't want to bail him out in a situation where he could go bet bet check when we could just play for all of it in a spot where like i'm a huge favorite um so that's kind of that's kind of the game we played and i know i know you guys talked about the turn play in terms of like should he be checking or betting and i completely agree with you guys in terms of like he should just absolutely be checking there is right. zero reason for him to be betting turn um, with this hand simply because I have zero hands that like, or at least not zero hands, but very, very few hands that are going to go call fold. Um, most of my hands there are just going to be like call call or like call shove. Right. Yeah. Maybe you can fold like jack nine of spades there or something like that. Sure. I mean, that's, that's like, that's like even such a, like, I guess I could have that hand. that So like, uh, another thing is, like, I'm probably opening a decent amount of hands on that table just because, like, it was, in my opinion, a pretty weak table. Um, but at the same time, it was a it was a dynamic where if I had a different seat, potentially, I would open uh, a wide. But I had to be very cognizant of my early position opens because I had, like, two very loose players on my left, which was, like, Hashtag King and then, like, another player named uh, Bear Drew. Um And these guys are just, like, action players. So I, even though I want to pip like, exploitatively like a large amount of hands because they're so weak and everybody's deep like i just can't so like my under the gun range uh my under the gun one range there is like going to be pretty tight uh it's just i'm gonna play like a pretty good solid correct range there
0: yeah so ultimately would you rate hashtag king's line in that hand like a one out of ten or maybe a zero out of ten
1: (laughs) i mean it's 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 pretty bad yeah like it's 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 pretty bad i mean the 3-bet, I think, is the 3-bet candidate of 6-5 of diamonds is perfectly fine, especially at these stacked-ups. Um, but, you know, the sizings are all off, and, you know, it's not good. It's, it's so really because, rare. Because I mean, of the, sorry, good. go ahead. No, I'm saying because of the candidate, I wouldn't say it's, like, you know, 1. Because the candidate's good. Like, he didn't have uh, – like, he had a good hand to 3-bet. So, we, I guess um, maybe, like, a 2 or 3.
2: We, <laughs> nice. Wow. He kind of jumped up the – uh the line a little bit there we uh so we do our own uh sort of live the bike type show so we get to see these kinds of players in action and i gotta say even these kinds of players we don't see this sort of erratic sizing kind of ever you know where it's the three right. we sometimes we'll see a three bet be this like crazy small like this where it's just clearly incorrect where they in theory should want fold equity with their hand and, and don't get it but then seeing someone bet twice the pot get called bet pot again i, I don't know if i've ever seen that on our show grant have you I don't think so. That, that's what makes it such a fun hand, I think. Yeah. Like, Is that is that something you feel like you run into against players like this, or is he just a special animal?
1: It was definitely special. Like, I I didn't expect to see that flop sizing, which was interesting. And I think that's the most interesting part of the hand, is that even though he's taking polarizing sizing, I still very much believe he's merged. And it's unfortunate we didn't get to see it. Um, but I'm just pretty confident, like a 10 just takes this line for some reason. And huh. and it's just, it's just a complete misunderstanding of like those concepts of just like Murder's pole. And like, I think he gravely lacks that, uh, construction. So that's kind of why we did it.
0: Wow. That's all really cool. Um, obviously this was a very exploitative line he took against hashtag King for very good reasons. You clearly have a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, do you see yourself frequently taking these lines in games like this, or do you find yourself more often taking GTO lines?
1: So it, it's it's a inter- live poker is so interesting in that Exploitative lines are just simply more profitable. Um, but I think having a baseline of game theory is Paramount, uh, simply because like you don't you really don't know you really don't know who you're running into or like, any, any of those kind of things, especially when you're moving up, like, when you're playing, like, 10, 20, 20 for 50, 50, 100. Like, all of a sudden now the games are, like, just, like, uh, like uh, a pool that is just, like, mixed with, like, you know, weak players and then, like, extremely strong players. So what you'll find is that, like, when it goes, like, strong for strong player, like, there's just a lot of, like, more balanced play, a lot more checking going on. Like, hand putts don't swell as, as, as fast. But when you're playing exploitative players uh, or not exploitative, where we're taking exploitative lines against weaker players. Like you're just taking different lines. And I think that, you know, we should be accepting of those things. Like, it's just, it's good to have an understanding of game theory, but I think we all understand now today that, you know, if you're playing live cash, like you should be playing an exploitative style of poker and that is going to be the most profitable in my opinion.
2: No, we totally agree with that, for sure. So you got to play with hashtag King, who I, I think may be the person I like the least out of everyone I've ever seen play poker. And I play with a lot of people and I've watched a lot of poker on TV, but he is the worst, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. But I but but you were actually there. Uh yeah. what was it what was it like to play with him?
1: It's very it's very brash and very just not it's you have to have a lot of patience i would say like especially if you're a professional like you have like you don't want to you don't want them to leave right like you want them to keep playing but you also have to stand up for like the other weaker players in the game so like you're you're kind of like towing this line of you know i don't want to get him upset, but I also don't want him to accept, uh, upset the other weaker players. So like, it, it's really difficult and interesting to play with someone like that.
2: Can, can you give us an example of where you might stand up for a weaker player?
1: Sure. I mean, so there, honestly, there was a situation actually in that exact session where he's, he starts arguing with Bear Drew and Bear Drew, in my opinion, is a recreational player. He owns a business, very successful guy. And you know they say something about like he says something about his mom or whatever and at that point i'm just like hey hashtag like don't don't go there like just just stop like don't don't go there and and you know you kind of have to do that because if not what if baird you just like doesn't want to play anymore and it's like well that's you know that's not good for any of us either um and you know that's that's kind of what you have to do and and honestly like that falls on all professionals too. Like it's like, we should be cultivating a fun environment and where everybody's like gambling and having a lot of fun. And it's like, I know we don't want to get a, I know we don't want to get weaker players upset, but like at the same time, like if they're attacking another weaker player, um, we should stand up. Similarly, if a pro is attacking a weaker player, we should absolutely be standing up for the weaker player.
0: Right. Right. So does it upset you a lot when you see like these examples on TV of people like Helmuth or somebody like that just berating an, an yeah.
1: amateur player? Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Like we're we're all professionals here. It's it's we're going to take beats. We we've been around the block a couple times, right? We understand how equities work. We understand like what's happening here and it's like, yeah, people are going to make mistakes and we should be accepting of that, not necessarily be berating players for doing so. It's just like it's pretty bad to, to do that. In my opinion. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We agree. Um, so speaking of exploitative versus GTO, obviously among the higher level players, among your peers, GTO is, is very prevalent. So how do you distinguish yourself in that world? Do you just kind of avoid those players as much as you can, especially when playing live or, or how do you distinguish yourself versus like the Christoph Vogelsang type people?
1: Well, in my opinion, I think that, well, I don't want to say I'm like right under that. I'm I'm under that tier. I'm not on that tier yet. Um, but to be fair, I, I think that there's room to explore lines that necessarily haven't been studied as much by that, by that school of thought. Um, so when you're, when you're studying game theory, when we're studying game theory ourselves, we just kind of understand how the majority of the player pool is studying. Right. So there, you know, when we hit PO most of the time to simplify the mixes, we're, you know, we're hitting do not allow check raise or we're hitting don't allow lead or et cetera. So, like, we kind of understand that these are the kind of like the hot spots that aren't being studied as often. So, that's kind of where if we're going to deviate into, in, into that world, well, these are the lines we need to be looking at. Like, where can we be check raising more often? Where can we, where can we find leads more often? What candidates are are the ones that we need to be doing. So, so it's like when I'm playing against those player types, like, yeah, I'm going to be a lot more towards the center, but at the same time, I kind of am looking for spots where, where hasn't this player studied, right? Cause like, they're so solid in all these natural lines already. So, we have to kind of like throw wrenches in the system in lines that they haven't necessarily thought. And it's hard as it's, it's so hard, dude, I almost cursed there. So I'm sorry, but it's, <laughs> it's okay. uh, it's so hard, man, because when you're, when you're exploring these lines as well, like your mistake propensity now goes way up too. Right. So it's, it's going to be interesting how the next years kind of come about, like what lines are going to be new and things like that. And we're already seeing it. Right. Um, I think that, as stack depths have has have become deeper like a lot more like linear and merged three betting even out of position has come into play and that wasn't a thing like a while ago right um like more of the, more of the sizing more of the out of position uh three bets were just like simply more pulled and now we're seeing them like especially in tournament play like they were definitely pulled uh now like we're seeing even like three bets out of position being more more linear or merged. Um, and that's becoming like, that's kind of like the new wave or whatever. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see like, you know, as, as game theory progresses, like what kind of new lines, and I'm like pretty certain it's just going to be like a lot more check raising and, and, you know, check raising almost like doesn't exist right now. Um, yeah. in, in that, in that world. And it's like, it's, it's going to come about. And especially when you're looking at boards where, both equities just like run really close. And it's like, well, if both equities run really close, then we should be pressing our equity and forcing our opponents to make mistake or potentially cut down the streets that they can realize their equity with. So if we make it a two street game instead of a three street game, now the out of position player uh gains advantage because you're cutting you're cutting out the in positions player ability to fully realize their equity. And you know, that's gonna that's gonna come into play. And like building out those lines are gonna be really freaking hard.
2: <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, Grant and I have talked about many times uh, when we watch the World Series of Poker main event how few post flop raises there really are, and it sort of goes to your point of everyone's playing a very particular style. Not everyone, but almost everyone is, right. and uh, and how sort of it's. I mean, like the Kui wins of the world end up getting to win sometimes because of it,
1: uh, right? So- and that's and honestly, he's a great example of. Obviously, he's not as calculated or anything like that, but. He is pressing his equity every time and people are just playing this defensive uh, mode where, you know, they're they're getting shut out of pots and all these things. And it's like, you know, he's a very uncalculated, you know, that's an extreme example. But it goes to show that there's something to this.
2: Absolutely. So so you are um, I think a lot of people would would agree you're like at the forefront of a lot of interesting poker thought these days. Uh, How much study do you put in yourself?
1: A lot, man. Like it's so it's it's really annoying sometimes because even (laughs) even like it's just you kind of have to have a fear of getting left behind as well as the ambition of reaching the absolute top. And both of those things kind of like really push me to just like keep studying and keep looking at what they're doing like i have a run at once account simply to just see what these guys are like doing and then like try to like figure out how to beat it like um same thing for like upswing and like all those other uh sites um yeah i mean you just have to put in a lot of study man like poker 2018 is just like so different than than what I, than what it has been before it's just like really competitive now yeah, and, time machine would be nice right now, right? Oh, we'll be super rich. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, there's just a lot of young. Because I remember, right? Like, I remember being 22 um and just like studying and really wanting to like compete with all these guys. And I just, and like, I know there's other 22 year olds now doing the same thing. And at the same time, I don't think any of us are, like, at least, you know, we're not at the top. We're not playing like super high rolls or anything like that, or even like 25 Ks. So, you know, if your goal is to ever reach that echelon, then, you know, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Um, speaking of work, obviously you have a couple of businesses that help educate people play poker. Do you, do your poker friends ever get mad at you that you are in these businesses that are helping all of their competition?
1: Yeah. I mean, at first I thought they, at first they did, but then like at the same time, like, so I started with red ship, which was, and I'm still there, but I've taken like a lesser role. Uh, I started with red ship, which, you know, they, they pretty much just coached like one, two and two, five players, uh, strictly. And then, you know, I got honestly like a little bit like bored because like, they're like we don't really get to talk about like high level topics or anything like that. Uh so then like I moved in uh working with with Matt Berkey and Jordan Young uh on Solve for Why. And that was like a really big experience just because Berkey's just like really like he's super smart and like he battles, man, and you know, he's just like always taking the most like gangster line, you know. Um <laughs> and you know sometimes it works and like sometimes it doesn't and you know i get to hear these like crazy hands that he's playing in like ivy's room you know he's playing like super huge stakes um and it's just like insane uh but it's been like so much it's been so much fun because like i've become really good friends with these guys and you know i think that there's like how poker education has come about like needs to kind of change i guess like as as the game is changing. Um, I think that like, I think what you guys are doing is great. Like in terms of like going over hands, but I, I guess like that can't be the sole um, education, I guess I would say, right. um, in terms of like, it, it's just different now. Right. Like I think the years of like opening up card runners and like someone playing in front of a computer, are just like kind of old. Um, you know what I mean? Like in terms of like going over just like, Oh, just watch me play these tables. Um, like, I, I, I guess that's just like a little bit like that needs to change, I guess. And I, I guess that's the goal with solve for why it's just like kind of like changing the way people learn, like, let, like understanding, like why these plays work instead of like just mimicking plays.
2: Well, tell us a little bit more about solve for why and how you're trying to, how you are using that to try and figure some of this stuff out?
1: Right. So I think that, you know, the, well, I guess I'll say what we are first. Like, so of sexually we started with an academy uh we pick nine players uh they all like apply we pick the nine players they come in it's a three-day academy uh we go over like theory we go over game. we go over theory in terms of like not only game theory but like why like how your opponents are playing uh you know and I, and for my in my opinion, like most of the like live players play very similarly, like a very like bluff, catchy style, et cetera. Uh, so we go over like how your opponents play, you know, how, what kind of line works, like the majority of people are approaching, you know, we go over game theory, then they play, we review that. Um, and I know you guys have been doing something similar as well. Um, I kind of like check that out. Um, and then, you know, we do commentary over their gameplay. Uh, we give them that, and then we do like another session. We also do like mental game, like everything, you know, full blown, like experience for three days. Uh, so we do that as well as like we have like webinars. We have all kinds of like things, you know, everything you can find is like on the Solve for Y Academy uh, website, which is Solve for Y dot com. Right
2: on. And, and to be clear, I mean, what you're talking about is something that's like a holistic training right. experience it sounds like what we're doing is we just have an RFID table we have people play and then we do commentary over it for the world so it's really right. not in any way similar I, I want to give you more credit than you're than
1: you're taking <laughs> thanks yeah no I appreciate it uh yeah it's hard like s- business has taught me so much in terms of like poker as well it's just like we're not used to like selling and things like that you know like we're used to just like grinding and things like that but uh you know I've always thought like in terms of like you know, what can we bring in terms of value to like, you know, poker players or even just like people that want to get better, uh, and they're not professionals. But, you know, the majority of the times, like we've, we've gotten a mix of like, you know, people that are professionals and, and some like businessmen that like want to just play because they're getting crushed. And, you know, it's always interesting that mix. And I feel like we've done a really great job. Like we have a Slack channel that's like booming. Like they have so many questions and like the community is great. So I'm, like, really proud of the job we're doing. Um, you know, it's it's just, like, kind of what, in my opinion, the new the new way of, like, learning poker right now. That's awesome. Congratulations, man. I mean, it's uh, it sounds really cool. Thanks, man. I mean, I think you guys are doing a great job. Like, I've listened to your episodes. Like, I was kind of excited that you did the hand just because, like, I've listened to your episodes, like, before even this hand. Like, just, like, kind of, like, just as a as a poker enthusiast as well as a professional well, you know well, that, that that warms our hearts for sure <laughs> thanks <laughs> man no i really appreciate that i think you guys are doing a great job
0: well we really appreciate that anything else uh, you want to say before we get this over with
1: no man it's uh just thank you for uh, allowing me to come on
2: hey well thanks for coming on we totally have enjoyed this we're sure our listeners going to enjoy it too